¿Cuántos hablan español? ¿Nadie? ¿Nobody speaks Spanish? ¿Un poquito? Okay, a little bit. That's good. All right. I'm glad to hear that. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to come and, and share God's Word with you this morning. Well, one of those things where your thumbprint's not working because of your iPad. There we go. Let's start with uh, looking at the scripture that I'm using today from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Um, it's this finishing out the Christmas season, but really I think this text and many, all the texts really about the narrative of, of Christ's birth apply to us throughout the year as well. But let's read this. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will, know never, his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, or answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Hope. Hope for yesterday, hope for today, hope for tomorrow. I think, personally, that that's one of the messages that God has for us in this text today. We live in a world, it seems to me, especially here in, in our nation, the United States, and much of the same is true in, in Mexico. We live in a world where it seems like there's less and less a sense of hope uh, a disintegration of society seems to be taking place, doesn't it? We see it in politics. We see it in the home. We see it in these mass shootings that have become so prevalent in our country in the last, what, 10, 15 years. Uh, it just seems that things are becoming more and more, in many ways, dysfunctional. Even within the Presbyterian Church in America, there are a number of churches throughout the southeast that are Congregations that once were pretty vibrant, and now they've, they've dwindled down to 50, 45, 50, 60 people. And you look out at the congregation, and I might be one of the youngest people there. That's pretty hard to imagine, isn't it? <laughs> but it's true. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that there is no hope. In the time that Luke wrote his gospel the time that Luke records these words. In that time and place, the Jewish people were also living in circumstances that were very, in a sense, very hopeless. There was a lot of angst. There was a lot of wonderment. Where is God in the midst 
of our nation. Think back about 600 years before the birth of Christ. They go into exile. They live in exile in Babylon for 75 years, 70 years. They're released to come back, but only a remnant returns to live, come back to Judah and Jerusalem. And even after those that returned as a nation, they never reclaimed the glory that they had experienced under David and under King Solomon. They never really lived any length of time out from under the hand or the power of other nations, first the Persians and the Medes and then the Greeks and the Romans. They were always being subjected to somebody else. And on top of that, now 400 years have gone by since the last prophet of the Old Testament has spoken, Malachi. 400 years. They've lived without a fresh prophetic prophetic voice from God for 400 years. Can you imagine how many of the Jewish people would have felt in this moment, in this time of history, over about 2,000 years ago, of course, at this point, how hopeless they probably felt. Where was the God who had built up their nation, called them out of slavery, built them up, given them David and Solomon? Where was that God? And so the questions that they face, the questions that we face, basically are the same questions. One of them is, does God care? Does he care about me personally? Does he care about his church? Does he care about our nation? Does he care about Mexico? Does he care about the world? And then if he does care, is he really able to do something about it? Is he able to act? Is he able to intervene? And I think as we look at this text afresh this morning, I want hopefully that you'll see that God does care. And God does act. So let's begin. First of all, the, the narrative in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, recounts two miraculous events that are going to take place. It's the appearance of an angel named Gabriel. He comes first to a priest who's in the temple serving, named Zechariah, and he has an astounding message. Zechariah, your wife, old, you all are old, but your wife is now going to give birth to a baby boy. And that was a miracle because they were both aged. It makes it clear. And that Elizabeth had never been able to conceive in their long marriage. But now the surprising news, she's going to become pregnant. She's going to bear a son. That same angel then, about six months later, comes to this young lady named Mary. She's betrothed, that is, she's engaged to Joseph, but they have not fully, they've not consummated their marriage, they've not finished the marriage ceremony. And another surprising message for Mary, Mary, you're going to conceive, and you're going to bear a son. Of course, we're going to see that this is a different level of miracle, but it's surprising. In both both actions, God is coming to impossible situations and he's saying to two different people, I'm going to do something. I'm intervening. I'm acting. In the case of of Zechariah and his wife, a miraculous birth, but through normal means. In the case of Mary, a miraculous birth, but also a miraculous conception. There will be no human partner. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. 
He's going to conceive miraculously. The life, the eternal God, Jesus Christ, is going to come and be incarnate in her womb. And then she will give birth to him. It's a story, in Mary's case, that can never be repeated. There will never be another miraculous conception of that type. It's unique in history. So after all of these years of silence, of wondering now, where is God in the midst of our struggle? God is acting. He's coming in and he's intervening. Now, of course, the gospel story, the part of the gospel story that we're reading about today is only the beginning, right? And it's really the fulfillment of promises that were made many, many, many years before to the Jewish people and to us. But now God is saying, I'm coming into this world. I'm coming in to act. And I'm sending my son so that in Galatians 4, Paul would write, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Not just anyone. This will be the son of God. This will be God himself that's going to come and live and walk and breathe and act in our midst. And he did. He did so that John would write in his in his um, epistle, his letter, says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, we don't see Jesus today. He's not here walking among us physically, but he is here with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. He still manifests to us. But God's message is not just one of action. There's also a message of words. And in some ways, if the, if the Gabriel had just appeared and made this announcement without his message, the message of God, to these people, we wouldn't have understood the importance of what he was doing or what God was doing. But God has a message. And as you look at the message to God, to Mary in particular, I like to break it down into three parts. First of all is God's words of grace to Mary as a person. In verse 28, he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And then in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This idea of being favored or having found favor with God is a tremendous concept. If I use the word grace, we probably, most of us would understand what that means. But sometimes we use that word without really grasping what it does mean. And maybe in some ways the word favored or having found favor with God better expresses the idea of grace, the idea of God's unmerited love towards Mary, but also towards you, towards me. The word favored here is also used in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he says, to the praise of his glorious grace, this is verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6 of Ephesians, with which he has blessed us in the, in the beloved, that God has blessed us, has had favor upon us, in the Beloved. Now think about Mary. Who was she? Well, she was a young lady, probably mid-teens, late-teens. Um, 
Was she some type of super person? Super? Did she somehow deserve that the angel would come to her and tell her that she's going to bear God's son? Uh, was she exceptionally obedient? Or did she have some type of, perhaps her, her lifestyle was exceptional? Maybe she was just full of faith. But the Bible doesn't tell us any of those things. It doesn't say it wasn't true, but it doesn't say it was true. It doesn't give us any idea that Mary is deserving of God's favor. But rather the opposite is true here as well as in all the scriptures. God's favor is given to her. God's favor is given to you. Not because of what we do. Not because of who we are. Not because we deserve it. We have merit. But simply because God delights to give it. And he did that for Mary. He, he did that with these gracious words. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God's favor is upon your life? Not because because of anything that you've ever done, anything that you will ever do, just because God has chosen to put it upon you. That is a wonderful, wonderful truth. An overpowering truth. And as you can begin to grasp that for your life, it makes all the difference in your Christian life. So God's favor upon Mary, first set of words. Then there's another set of words. The wise, he explains to her now, who is this one who will be born, this child? First of all, his name will be Jesus. And the word, the, the name Jesus, in the Hebrew, going back into the Hebrew, really takes us back to the idea of God's salvation, or God saves. So his name, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. He is the Savior. He will be great. Now, this title, great, notice that there's no corresponding uh, modifying clause there. It's not saying he will be great among men, or he will be great among the angels, or he will be great in any qualifying manner. It's just put out there. He will be great. He is the greatest. There is no one like him. No one will ever be like him. So John would say of him, John the Baptist would say, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. There's no one equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one equal to him. He will be given the throne of David, the king, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The rule of our Lord Jesus Christ has tremendous dimension. It extends over all of creation over the whole created world, over all created beings. It extends over and reaches to the farthest extension of our universe. The words here do not narrow or do not uh, limit his rule to just the church or churches, but it is meant to show that his kingdom, what David's kingdom in the Old Testament was just a micro, micro mini version of what our Lord's kingdom is. But at the same time, in a special way, he rules over his people, his church. 
over us for all time. He's our Savior. And this is not meant to limit His reign only to a certain nation. These are His people from all countries, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And it continues to grow. And that takes us to the final phrase, that really is sort of a climactic statement in this section, where he says, His kingdom will know no end. You know, every kingdom on this earth has uh, ended or has diminished. And there's some old, old countries that have reigned and had power for many years, but no nation has ever been able to reign and rule in a, in a, in a grand manner for more than a few hundred years, perhaps. They all end. Our nation will end someday. I don't know how. I don't know when. We won't always be a world power. But his, name, his kingdom does not end. His kingdom continues to grow. So we see God's message that reinforces his action, the miraculous birth. But his message also is showing that God cares and God is acting. He's sending one into the world who will bring forth righteousness, bring forth light, bring forth a newness. And that's still going on. We won't see the end of it until our Lord Jesus Christ returns again. But it is a reality now. It's active. And the final thing, then, the words of, of the Lord here have to do with God's ability. In the English Standard Version, it says that nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's a bit troubled by all of this. She's, uh, you would be too. <laughs> Frankly, we all would be, wouldn't we? But God's saying to her, Mary, this seems impossible to you. But it's nothing is impossible with God. And this explains, I think, the whole matter. It places the emphasis upon God's ability to do all things, all of his will. Things are in, there are things in your life today that seem impossible, personal things. There are things and activities and movements in the United States of America that seem impossible to us, that would ever, they could ever be corrected, ever be undone. There are things happening in Mexico that the same way. How can God build his church in this situation? How can God extend his kingdom in this situation? How can, how can there be, how can the healing come to a nation, to a community? But God's saying it's not things impossible. God chose a weak vessel in Mary and really in Zechariah and Elizabeth. He chose an impossible situation, and he did the impossible. God delights also to take us where we're at in our impossibilities to work the impossible. Because nothing is impossible with God, nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that can hinder the advancement of his kingdom in our nation or in our world. God delights to use our weakness so that he receives all the glory. Hope for yesterday, hope for us today. But it also means hope for the future, doesn't it? Because God is the God of the impossible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the impossible, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You came into this world. 
You invaded our space. You walked among us. You taught. And you still act. You're acting in us through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for being there. The God of the impossible. We ask that you would strengthen our faith. Give us hope in our hopelessness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. right to give thanks praise